Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to do a review of the win over the Jets, and we're also going to preview the Thursday night game against the undefeated Dolphins. What's up, guys? This is Evan McPherson, and you're listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Big win this week. We needed this one. I know it's just against the Jets, but when you think about it, it's a road win, it's a conference win, and it keeps us from going 0-3, which is the kiss of death in the NFL. So we're 1-2, the season is saved, and this game, we started looking like the Bengals of last year. We were protecting Joe Burrow a little bit better. Even though he was sacked twice, hit nine times, and pressured 15 times, that's still too much, but we schemed up things, enabling him to get the ball down the field and prove that it's still Joe Burrow. And, you know, people like to get down after those first two weeks, like, oh, is is Burrow having issues this year? No, the issue was a jailbreak on every passing play, basically. And this is a game where you didn't see that happen, and you got to see Joe Burrow be Joe Burrow. Week 4 Preview, Cincinnati Bengals versus Miami Dolphins. Alright, on to the 3-0 Dolphins. So surprised. I knew they were going to be a good team, but they just beat Buffalo. They're riding a high. They're 3-0. Tua, which the jury was out on, is looking pretty good at quarterback. They got those two monster receivers, which we'll talk about in just a minute. So a home game that at the beginning of the year, I was like, ah, that should be a win for us. But you look at it now, and that's going to be a tough one. So we have to make sure, obviously, that we protect Joe Burrow and good things are going to happen. So let's analyze the Dolphins a little bit. So you have Tua Tungavaloa, who's starting to get his groove as a quarterback. Those six touchdowns was like a breakout game for him. And he's, you know, he's a 3-0 quarterback right now, whether he has good plays, bad plays. I always thought accuracy was a problem with him, at least on the pro level. But, you know, I'm hearing that he's so accurate and his numbers don't really show that. But I've watched a couple games where I'm like, ah, he's off. He's not a good quarterback. And I guess that's changing over time. So, you know, good for him. He's a good guy. I wish him a good career, just not on Thursday night. But, man, that shot to the head where his head hit the turf, just like Higgins, you hate to see it. And he gets up woozy, and then he stumbles again going to the huddle. And he goes back into the game. I just couldn't believe it. The protocol has to get better. You have to protect these guys more. I know they're your star players and you want to see him on the field, you want to win the game. There's only 17 games. Every game is so crucial. But this is not good for players' long-term health. And that was ugly, and I just can't believe he went back in. I was on a show that's hosted by Miami Dolphin fans earlier today, and they said that Tua had all of halftime to kind of clear the cobwebs and get tested, and that's why he felt that Tua went back in the game. But I think they would have forced him back in either way. I don't like it. He was not supposed to go back in that game with that head injury so shame on the Dolphins medical I don't know what New York's saying they're supposed to be independent consultants that are watching all this stuff and they really dropped the ball on a star player there when I saw him stumble I'm like oh he's not playing against the Bengals next week and then I just went back to watching the Bengal game and then I realized that he finished the game for the Dolphins and I was like man things got to change 
All right, so they have Raheem Moster, Chase Edmonds as the running backs. Miles Gaskin comes in a little bit here and there. The running backs do not have 100 yards each yet on the season through three games. I'm not saying they're playing well or not. They're just not, they don't seem to be a priority in their offense. And with our run stuffing ability, even without Reader in there, I'm not forecasting these guys to be game breakers this game as well. But then you go to Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, and they're just using those guys constantly. If you look at the stats on the Dolphins, it's these two guys with like 20-some-odd catches, and everyone else has less than 10. Like, it's just, they're, all they do is target these two guys. I'm sure they're, they're getting like 75% of the targets just on those two players, and they're deadly. They're both fast. They can both catch. They both run great routes. They both have run-after-the-catch ability. So two receivers that are responsible for the 3-0 and start for the Dolphins that we have to be aware of in this game. And we'll go over some strategy on that in just a minute. Mike Kosicki is a player that I wanted on the Bengals. We have something similar in Hayden Hurst, but not to the level of Kosicki. He's one of the best tight ends in the league, and he's a dangerous weapon. He's from the same place that Clark Harris is from in New Jersey, so I have a soft spot for him too, I guess, like a Jersey Shore guy and an outstanding athlete. But they're not using him that much. He's got like eight targets through three games. And I, I'm just shocked. And talking to the Dolphins crew, they were saying they're using him to block a lot. That's the offensive scheme. And that's just a waste of a weapon. And I hope they don't wise up to that this week because he can change a game as well. And before the season started, I know he was franchise tagged, so it wasn't worth signing him. But I was like, if the Bengals sign Mike Kosicki, it's over. Our offense is purely unstoppable. That didn't happen, but we have a great tight end in place of him. But watch out for Gesicki. Remember that I said it. Just because he has six, seven, eight receptions this year, he could put up a lot of big numbers and a lot of game-changing plays in a hurry. So he's someone that worries me. Trey Flowers is going to have his work cut out for him this week. And other wide receivers, they have Trent Sherfield, who they're high on. He's a, a larger receiver. Uh, River Craycraft had, his, I believe, his first NFL touchdown this week. And Cedric Wilson from the Cowboys, he appears in there a little bit. Doesn't have many numbers up so far this year. But they have three guys behind the two main guys that can hurt you if you sleep on them. And the Dolphins are having trouble with the offensive line. Obviously, you saw Tua get hit. The run game isn't really doing much. And they did a lot. You know, they they have Armstead, who they signed. Eichenberg, a high draft pick. Connor Williams from the Cowboys. They drafted Greg Little. Robert Hunter guard is playing maybe the best out of all of them, but with all that, you figured they had fixed the offensive line, and they're just having problems up there. So I'm hoping that that continues this week, and Hendrickson really has a game similar to last game. And, you know, the, the big matchup, I would say, would be Hubbard on Little, because Little is really struggling, and Hubbard's having a good year. So that's one of the matchups that we want to exploit on that offensive line, and I think that's somewhere where we can do a lot of damage this game. So be on the lookout for that. Now, defending the Dolphins, I think you have to go with too high safety for most of the game. You have to have double coverage on both of those receivers and take your chances on everybody else. You know, like, really don't let Hill and Waddle wreck the game, and I think you have a win here. And they're going to move those guys around a lot. They're going to have them in the slot against Hilton. They're probably going to go after Eli Apple more than Awuzie because of the season that Awuzie is having, but little do they know that Apple's also having a great year. All right, on to the Dolphins' defense. Melvin Ingram is having a very good year. A couple forced fumbles, a couple sacks. He's been a great acquisition for them. He's been a little down for the last couple years. He didn't do much when he was with Pittsburgh. He kind of, They kind of ran him out of the building due to his attitude. 
but he's, he seems to have found new life in Miami. So he's he's the guy that we have to watch for. I guess he's the T.J. Watt, Micah Parsons of this game that if you let him go crazy, he could do a lot of damage. Christian Wilkins is a very good interior defensive lineman. They also have Agba and the other Trey Flowers, which are pass rushers. So look out for those guys to try to get a hold of Burrow this game too. So it's, it's a very good defensive front. They have a lot of guys that they can inter- interject into that lineup. So not an easy run. Although you don't see guys that, are, that have like crazy sack totals, these guys can do a lot of damage. And it's a very good defense. They play together without having huge names all over the place, and they just seem to be a tough team to put up consistent points against. Linebackers are a little bit vulnerable with Landon Roberts and Baker, and then you go on to the secondary. Xavier Howard is one of the best in the league, and he's a turnover machine. You have to watch him. They have Nick Needham on the other side, a lot more vulnerable. And then they, they have Kohu in the slot, and they like to bring in Eric Rowe on the dime, so there's some vulnerabilities there. Kohu's not having a bad year. I would say that Needham and Rowe would be the guys to go after more than Howard. Javon Holland is having a good year at safety. Brandon Jones is having a mediocre year at safety. So that's how their defense is looking. Now, what strategy do you want to use against these guys? I would say, one, don't let Ingram wreck the game. Two, watch Wilkins on Volson. You know, Volson is the young lineman. I would say he's struggling more than anyone on that line right now. I mean, toss up between him and Jonah. But Wilkins is a veteran, a strong player, and Volson's going to have his hands full. So the last thing you want to see is Volson getting beat on the inside and then Ingram beating Jonah on the outside and having this jailbreak on Burrow's blind side the whole game. So that's something that we have to protect. That max protect look is probably going to be one of the solutions to that. And do what we did this game, the max protect, the rollouts, running back passes, a good pass-run balance as well. Burrow was throwing a lot this game. I mean, it was working, and Mixon's running wasn't working, but you'd like to see a more even mix, especially against this front. Other things, if they're going to have Howard shadow Chase, I still say don't be afraid to go to Chase. Don't get me wrong. Like, put Chase on anyone like we talked about, and I'm not going to say don't throw at this corner. You know, if it's Jamar Chase, he's going to make plays, and Howard's going to make plays. You can't be foolish. You can't overtest him because he'll come up with a pick and could be dangerous there. But it's not like if Howard's on chase, I'm not even looking that way. That's not true, and that won't be a winning formula. But if that is the case, then you have Higgins on Needham, and you have Boyd on Kohu. Those are great matchups for us. Higgins on Needham, I mean, that could be a 130-yard game for Higgins if they're going to lock up like that. And then you want to exploit those linebackers. Again, passes to the running back, maybe... Another Chris Evans sighting. I know he was in there for one play, or he got one touch this game at least. Might be a game to get him more involved. And the tight ends. If Hurst is healthy, he can have a very big day against this linebacking core as well. So some really good pieces on that defense. Some vulnerabilities. And if we're smart and we do a similar thing like we did against the Jets and really keep Burrow out of harm's way, he's going to dissect the Dolphins. And the Bengals are going to go 2-2, two and two, and the Dolphins are not going to be undefeated after this game. Prediction, it's a big night for us. Busting out the white uniforms, which everyone can't wait to see. That's going to be fun. The whole country is going to get to see our new look, and I'm sure a lot of non-Bengal fans will fall in love with that look because it's really cool. We have the Ring of Honor, a big night for Isaac Curtis and Willie Anderson. National TV, where we're not the Bengals of the Andy Dalton era. No disrespect, Andy, but... 
We couldn't win primetime games. We couldn't win playoff games. And now with this Burrow Chase Bengals, they just shine under the lights. So we're facing an undefeated team. It's a primetime game. We have our big ceremony planned at halftime. We've just come off a win and we have some momentum. It's just a great game. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be the most exciting game of the year up to this point and a huge one for us. Let's get to 2-2. Two and two. Predictions, high scoring to a point, but not crazy high scoring. I say three touchdowns apiece, but the Bengals get two field goals with this great kicker and the Dolphins only get one. 27-24 Cincinnati Bengals on to 2-2. Two and two. Bring on Baltimore. Let's get back on top of the division and back on top of the AFC. AFC North standings. The Bengals are currently 1-2 and and tied for third in the AFC North with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They trail the 2-1 Browns and the 2-1 Ravens. The Cincinnati Bengals are now the 10th seed in the AFC. Week 3 Review Cincinnati Bengals 27, New York Jets 12. All right, let's start off with some observations from the game. So the first thing, I think it was really smart getting the ball first. I know conventional wisdom and analytics say kick the ball away so you get it right after halftime. You get that double dip at halftime if things go your way. But in this case, where we were falling behind early, we went in with the mentality of let's get the ball first. And Joe Burrow had suggested that during the week. I don't know if the coaching staff was going to do it regardless, but it's nice to see them listen to their best player, and it totally worked. We jump out to a 7 nothing lead. And we were never to look back. So good idea taking it first. I don't know about doing that for the rest of the season. But right now, just to get off to a fast start in a game, we needed that. Especially when we were 0-2 and heading towards disaster. So good move by the coaching staff. Good suggestion by Joe Burrow. I'm recording this on Monday, so I don't know the extent of DJ Reader's injury. But that's a big one. He has been playing so well this year. You know, We're shutting down teams in the run game. And he's largely responsible for that. Taking on double teams and defeating double teams on a consistent basis. So I'm hoping that it's a minor injury and doesn't keep him out too long. But if he's out for an extended period of time, or hopefully not, but for the whole season, that will affect our win total to some degree this year. So speedy recovery. DJ Reader is an underdog hero on this team, and he was heading for the Pro Bowl prior to this injury. I'm crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. And Joe Burrow, I I had a heart attack like three times in this game. I talked at the top about two sacks, nine hits, 15 pressures. Even though it seemed like he had a lot of time to throw, he was still getting hit a lot even after he got rid of the ball. So it was good because we had the victory and it looked like everything was back to normal, but he was still taking way too many hits. But the heart attacks were caused by a couple near misses on injury. So first he falls on his left shoulder with that roughing penalty early in the game. We got the 15 yards. It extended the drive big play for us but man that guy came down with all his weight on burrow and that's so tough as a quarterback when you get driven to the ground and then the body weight on top of you I mean you know that's not just 275 pounds falling on you you multiply that because of the force behind it and that's just a a nasty shot to take and he was shaking it off a little bit after that play and I'm like oh please no separated shoulder you know we saw what happened with Baker Mayfield last year that was a, a crushing injury even though it wasn't his throwing shoulder 
but Burrow just shakes it off. He's just a, an extremely tough player, and it's nice to have a quarterback who's that resilient and you know doesn't just go down on every little nick and scrape. And then later in the game, he takes the knee to the head by Mosley on that scramble. Mosley didn't do it on purpose. He tried to avoid him, but his knee just hit Burrow directly in the head, and that's a recipe for a concussion as you're, you're going to slide and all, all of a sudden, boom, right in the head. So he survived that. So two heart attacks for your for your host over here. And then the last one in the fourth quarter, that sack where everything just collapsed on him, he gets up, and he went down awkwardly. He kind of, it just happened so fast where the pocket got crushed, and he bent awkwardly. And then he gets up, and he's holding his surgically repaired left knee, and I was like, oh, my God, this cannot be good. And shook that one off, too. So I know he's going to have some bumps and bruises over the week. You know, those injuries probably hurt more than we know, even though he shook him off and continued to play. You know, your adrenaline's pumping, and he's a very rare breed. But yes, three heart attacks. Glad to see he's okay and came out smiling and and with a victory. And they did what they could to protect Burrow this game. So what they were doing, which is a great idea, is that max protect look. So you have your five offensive linemen, and then you have a tight end and a running back flanking Burrow. So that's like seven guys blocking. And of course, you could send those two blockers out into patterns, but they were using a lot of max protect, and it was working. It was giving him the time that he needed to get the ball down the field. The problem when you max protect is they can load up the back end and double cover all your receivers. But the fact that we have such great receivers, we can overcome that because of the skill of these guys. So the max protect was working. They listened to me. I guess they are listening to the podcast. Thank you with the rollouts. They were rolling them out right. They were rolling them out left, having success in both instances. They even did a flea flicker to get Burrow some time to throw a deep ball, and that was early in the game. It was a pitch to Mixon. Everyone in the house thought it was a run, me included, and then he feeds it back to Burrow, and Burrow's got plenty of time to zing it downfield to Chase. Chase kind of lost it, I don't know, in the lights or in, in the sun or something. He just wasn't able to track the ball in the air, but it was a really good throw and could have been a huge Chase touchdown. So that was another way of getting Burrow more time. You know, everyone's flooding towards Mixon. You get it back to Burrow, and he actually has two, three seconds to dissect the field. And you give him that much time, look what happens. That was a brilliant throw. And they were doing some quick passes and some swing passes. They did that one pop pass to Chase, which was they needed. It was third and one. They needed one yard, and Chase just gets off the line, immediately runs towards the sideline. Boom! Burrow hits him. It feels like they could do that every play if they wanted to. So very good job by the coaching staff on protecting Burrow. That's what you have to do. If the line is going to be a question mark this year, you have to scheme up things to avoid having this guy get injured and hit too much. And it worked this game. The defense was outstanding. The tackling, turnovers, we started getting pressure and sacks, which we haven't had much of this year. The coverage was was low-key phenomenal. Awuzie was all over. Eli Apple had a good game. The safeties, Flowers covering the tight end. Just so much unsung heroes in coverage as well. So we were just doing it on all fronts. The linebackers, of course. Gaither had a really active game. Wilson had the big pick. And the defense twice held the Jets to field goals when they started on our side of the field. So that's a big win for the, for the defense to not let a team have a short field and score touchdowns. So excellent job all season long by the defense, and excellent job this game. Now granted, we haven't faced a totally high-powered offense yet, but you play who's in front of you. So we played who was in front of us, and the defense has been outstanding. 
And I want to say Asiasi is really good at blocking. I wasn't watching him every play, but when he was in there, number 86, you know, he's the new guy. We're low on tight ends. Let's see what this guy can do. And he was really laying out some people and holding his own. Now I understand why the Bengals claimed him off waivers. He's a real asset in the blocking game as a tight end. And with the line being a little suspect, we can use all the help that we can there. So he's a perfect fit. And if he continues to play like that, he's going to get a lot of snaps this year. And then Samaj P. Ryan. A lot of fans get on him. I've always liked him. I think he's a valuable player for us. But I just want to put it like this. You're in an NFL game. You have world-class athletes, 11 of them on defense. Everybody in the house knows you're getting the ball down after down after down. And he just approached it with that same mentality, just running through a brick wall. No fear. That's bravery. And he took over the game. From the fourth quarter on, there was nothing. It was just the Pirine drive, chewing plenty of time off the clock, exactly how you want to end end the game. They protected Mixon by not having him in there. I know Mixon hobbled off with a little bit of an ankle thing, so it was even better. Mixon didn't get the wear and tear. Pirine got the action, and that's in his wheelhouse. He's a, a running back who really likes contact and is a really strong runner, so perfect situation to use him, and he did it to perfection. And then the only negative coaching staff-wise, you know, everyone's going to question a play call here, a play call there. I don't really have a problem with any of that. But the two delay of games, one came early, one came a little bit later. You can't have them anymore in the NFL. When the coaching staff is allowed to call a timeout from the sideline, you have to get them in. You can't let that clock run out. And unfortunately, it happened to us twice. It's not a, a recurring problem for us. I don't see it happening much. But it did happen twice this game. I'm sure the coaching staff is aware of it, and they're not going to let it happen again. But that was the one negative if I had to point out something as as far as coaching goes. We kept Uzama in check. He didn't have his revenge breakout game against Cincinnati. They barely looked for him. And Flacco was horrible. He, he was just inaccurate. He was panicking in the pocket. He did the usual of, like, calling out his teammates. You could see his frustration when things didn't go his way. Just a guy that I love seeing fail, tell you the truth. I know he's a New Jersey guy. He's fairly likable if you listen to him talk. But on the field, he just comes across a little bit jerky, and, you know, he paid the price. He, he couldn't do anything against us this game. The fans were booing him near the end. They have a very short fuse in New Jersey and New York for bad play, and they certainly let him know it. And then he does something that I, that I say that Joe Burrow very rarely does, and he put his receiver in danger. That one to Garrett Wilson where he got lit up by Jesse Bates. Flacco threw him into the hit, and that's something you got to be careful of. And the really high-end, highly aware quarterbacks like your Joe Burrows and Tom Brady's and players like that, they don't put their players in danger that often. They do everything they can to avoid that. And Flacco was just blind to it, and he's got this breakout rookie receiver, and he just leads him into this nasty hit, and Wilson didn't do much the rest of the game after that, despite him coming back in. It helped us, and I'm never rooting for an injury to help us, but in this case, that was the hot receiver, and after that hit, he didn't want any more of this game. So it ended up working out in that regard. And Sauce Gardner's good. I don't watch a lot of college football, so I didn't really see his college career, although I heard about it. But he was on Jamar quite a bit and, and did a very good job. He did let up a touchdown to Pirine. Technically, he wasn't on him one-on-one, but he was the closest guy and could have gotten over there quicker. So he actually did let up a TD, to, not to the usual suspect. You'd think it would be Chase or something. But either way, he played a very good game. 
did a really good job on Chase. And what I liked is Chase and him were going back and forth a little bit. And Chase tried doing the same thing he did last game where he goes to grab the mouthpiece. And Gardner had quick hands. He knocked his hand away as, as Chase is going up for it. So I don't know. I, I thought that was actually cool that he defended himself out there. And, you know, Chase will house him. Chase is a much stronger, tougher player. But Gardner had no fear. So I give him respect and I wish him a good career. I wish we would have gotten him. That would have been big. And the Jets were falling apart. The fans are booing. The quarterback play was bad. Quentin Williams is yelling at his coach on the sideline really badly. I, I don't like when players do that, but it just showed a team kind of unraveling there. And you know what? That's their problem. That's not our problem. So let's quickly go over the flow of the game. The Bengals win the toss. They take the ball first. They march downfield for seven. Jets come back with a decent first drive. Remember I said teams prepare all week for that drive, so a lesser team can be successful because that's in the game plan. It's you know it's hard to repeat that. You can get one really good drive because that's what you've been focusing on, and then the truth comes out as the game goes on. So we score seven, they score three. Then we have the Chase fumble, which was, was like, oh, no, here we go again. Nothing against Chase, but I was like, oh, the turnover, the bad breaks. Are we going to give away a game to the Jets? And the defense buckled down, held them to a field goal, so now you have 7-6. Then the next drive, we had the big pass to Higgins, including the roughing. We go up 17-6 with a field goal there. Then Logan Wilson gets the interception. We go up 20-6, so we're starting to build a nice lead on them. Jets get a field goal right before half, which is usually dangerous. In this game, it didn't come back to haunt us, so you got 20-9. And then the Jets come back in the second half with the ball, and this is a chance for them to get back in the game. But what happens? We get the turnover right after the half. Defense takes over the game. The turnover leads to the Jamar Chase touchdown. 27-9. Jets get one more field goal the rest of the way, but we basically drain the clock. So the game was in control very early. We had the first score, and then the Jets had two field goals, and then we just kept scoring and scoring and scoring, putting the game out of reach and getting our first victory of the year. As far as key plays, there's a couple of them in this game. I mean, you could refer to a lot of moments, but a few of the ones I wanted to highlight. The Burrow touchdown to Pirine, which is an excellent play. It was a jailbreak offensive line-wise, but Burrow sneaks out of there, gets himself out of trouble, spins away, and starts rolling to the left. Pirine shows awareness and finds the quarterback's eyes. That's a big part of the scramble drill. Find the quarterback, let him know you're an available target, you have that eye contact. Burrow finds him at the front of the end zone. Touchdown, 7 nothing. never looked back after that. So that was really the first big play of the game. Then the next big play was the Boyd 56-yard touchdown. So we had three wide receivers, and we were in that max protect look with the tight end and the running back flanking Burrow for extra protection, giving us the ability to go downfield because he's going to have a little time. But sure enough, Burrow got hit as he released it as well, but he got it off in time. The Jets sent seven. And they left four men back. So they had one-on-one -on, -one on each receiver, and they had a safety roaming over the top. So in a situation where we had max protect, they didn't decide to drop extra guys in coverage and be able to double everybody. They just came at us. We were blocking with seven. They came at us with seven. So I think that was a coaching error by them. And what happens, Boyd makes the catch. He spins out of a tackle. The safety gets in the way of the corner. And Boyd's off to the races, and he wouldn't let himself get caught. So really good play by Tyler Boyd. A breakout play for him this year so far. We've seen it before out of him, but it was nice to see it in 2022 and hoping for a lot more of them. 
The next big play was the Logan Wilson interception. So what you have there is you have Hilton blitzing from the outside, but he did get picked up. Then you have Hubbard stunting towards the middle, and he got picked up. But Flacco's panicking because there's pressure. Even though it was picked up, he had plenty of time to think about what he wanted to do. He panicked because there was a lot going on and a lot of guys coming. So he surveys the field, and he decides to throw into a zone where you have three Cincinnati Bengals and one Jet. So pretty easy pick for Logan Wilson. Great awareness, great ball skills, and a pretty good return, too. I just wish he would have tucked the ball in at the end. But it worked out because Trey Flowers came in and grabbed the fumble from Wilson. We kept the ball, and that was a big turnover in the game. The next big play was in the first series of the second half, which closed the door on the Jets and enabled us to score right away. And it was the Hendrickson strip sack. So you had Osai in there at defensive tackle. And I was literally saying right before the snap, I'm like, come on, Osai. I haven't heard your name all day. Let's do something. And sure enough, right on cue, Osai gets good pressure up the middle. Hendrickson destroys his guy. You have Logan Wilson blitzing as well, so we sent five, causing a little confusion. Logan got picked up, but the other two guys beat their men one-on-one, coming at Flacco, and Hendrickson has that great tomahawk move, not just going for the sack, but going for the strip. And sure enough, he knocks it away easily. B.J. Hill recovers. We get the ball on the 24-yard line. Huge play that led to a touchdown and basically sealed the game right in the beginning of the second half. And the last big play was the chase touchdown. And again, I'm going to say this comes down to coaching. You have Mixon in the slot. You have Chase, one of the best receivers in the league, on the outside. So what do they do? Mixon goes on an out. Chase goes a slant. They double cover Mixon, and they forget to cover Chase. And you have Hurst on the other side as a tight end, and you have him double covered. So on that play, they double covered Hurst, and they double covered Mixon, and they left Chase wide open in the end zone. Just a player error, but when you have errors like that, you can you can sometimes say it's coaching. So there was some coaching errors in this game on the Jets' end, and they're on the hot seat already, and plays like this are not going to help, especially with a defensive-minded head coach. And of course, Burrow pays the price on that. Chase gets the easy touchdown, nice big score for the Bengals, and Burrow got popped because Jonah took an inside guy and left an out. He he picked up a blitzer coming inside and left the edge unblocked. And that guy just mowed into Burrow right after he got the ball off. So a shame that Burrow got hit. But a big play in the game because it was the game-sealing touchdown. So individual performances. Obviously, Joe Burrow had a very good game. And I came up with a term for what he does in the pocket. I'm going to say he's very slippery in the pocket. You see, so many times he's in trouble and you're feeling like he's going to go down and he just somehow ducks out of it or spins out of it, or jukes out of it, and he's been doing that his whole career, and it's a great asset because his sack numbers would be even higher if he wasn't so elusive. If he was like a Flacco back there, he'd probably be out for the year by now with all the hits, so it's nice to see that mobility is really holding up despite the knee surgery. I mean, that's that's like a forgotten chapter right now. We don't even think about it the way he moves and the way he's been running. And I want to go back to Joe Burrow holding the ball too long. When things go wrong and you're getting sacked a lot and you're losing games, no one is immune to criticism. So they they try to pick on Joe Burrow and say he's holding the ball too long. There were times in this game where I'm like, I'm glad he's holding the ball this long because it's, it's a crucial third down or it's a scoring play. You know, it's easy to just throw out that narrative, but there's times where he holds the ball longer than he should because he wants to make something happen. 
And there's times where he gets rid of it quickly because he knows there's no solution. First and second down, you tend to want to not hold it too long. Third down scoring plays, you want to give yourself more of a chance at success. And that's what he did. So, I, you know, I'm tired of everyone getting on players when the team's not doing well. And I don't want to hear the Burrow holding the ball too long is leading to sacks because it really is not. And his arm was looking lively and sharp. You give him time to throw, and he looks like a surgeon out there. You know, in a game like this where he has a little more time to throw, you just watch him dissect and shred the defense, and it was great. Every time that ball went in the air, I'm just wondering how many yards we're going to get on that play. Running backs, frustrating game for Mixon. There were really no holes to run through up front. It was it was tough sledding for him. He tweaked his ankle near the end, so not the best day for Joe Mixon and really not his fault. On to the wide receivers. Every game, it could be a different receiver breaking out. And this game, I'm going to call it a Tyler Boyd game. 105 yards and the biggest play to break open the game with that broken tackle and early touchdown. So glad to see him have a big game. Higgins, those shots to the head are bothering me. Like after week one, I didn't feel he was right. Every time I saw a picture of him, I still felt like there were some cobwebs. And of course, he went back to play week two and week three. And he just takes a nasty hit to the head again, and it didn't look good. They cleared him. I don't know how he got cleared, because it looked like a definite concussion. But he came back in. Again, I worry about guys' long-term health and life after football when they start building up concussions. Because Higgins is so fearless and so tall, he's a target for that, and I'm hoping that it doesn't haunt him his whole career. He's too good of a guy for that to happen to. But regardless of that, he's a warrior. He's got a bloody lip. He goes back into the game, had nine receptions, 90-something yards. He didn't even want help after he gets hit. Really heroic and a great effort and, and largely responsible for our victory in this game. And Chase was frustrated. It wasn't his best game either. He had a, you know, a drop or two here or there. He lost that one in the sun and didn't really put up the chase numbers that he's used to. And I could tell he was getting a little angry. That's why he was starting with Sauce Gardner. But despite all that, he, he got a bunch of targets, had several receptions, and he got to pull a TD out of it and get to do the gritty at the end of the game. Although not the best game for him statistically or eye test-wise, he still scores the touchdown, Bengals get the win. He's smiling on the plane ride home as well. Hayden Hurst had a quiet game, and I'm assuming that's because he came in with a groin injury. We didn't even know if he was going to play this game. And I guess they were holding him back. He didn't really have as many targets as usual, but that's okay. We got through with a win, and hopefully he's in better health and better strength for the Miami game because we are going to need him against those guys. Offensive line, Lyle Collins had a bounce-back game. I know that Dallas game was probably the worst game of his career, and he comes into this game, and I don't know his PFF ranking. I don't know what he graded, but the eye test, he was pretty much flawless in there. So glad to see that at Eliel. We're going to need him at full strength and a lot more games like that as we go into the playoffs. Volson's learning on the fly, and he's getting Burrow hit more than I'd like to see, but still a pretty solid game out of him. Only his third game as a pro. Hopefully the light goes on and he keeps getting better because we're going to need him to hold his own in there. Jonah got beat a few times physically and mental errors, so hoping that he gets back on track or gets on track. Karras and Kappa, excellent games again, so they're really holding up as free agents and turning into great acquisitions. They both were kind of responsible for a sack in this game, so it's not a great game out of them, but I thought they performed very well, and they've been performing very well all year. 
Defense, we talked about how great DJ Reader is, and he was having a great game before he went down, just plugging things up, shutting down the run game, getting pressure in the pass game. Hendrickson took over the game, and I, and I thought he played well in the first two games. You didn't see the sack totals, so if you're not watching closely, you're feeling like, oh, he's not having a good year. But I thought he was pretty disruptive in the first two games, but it really took over in this game. I mean, three sacks, three strips, and on top of all that, he gets a holding penalty on the offensive lineman and an offensive lineman false starts. So three sacks, causes two penalties, causes a couple turnovers, just a monster game out of him. And we're going to expect that that's going to be the norm, too. I know he tweaked his shoulder a little bit later in the game. And then he came back in. I might have held him out for the rest of the game, but it seemed like he was okay. So he'll probably be questionable for this week. But you know he's going to play in that big Thursday night game. B.J. Hill had a great game. He had the fumble recovery. Also really contributing to stopping the run. He had a sack on Flacco, but Flacco dumped it. So a great game out of him. You might not see it all on the stat sheet but he was in there battling and really contributing to a good run defense as well. And Tupo was really solid in relief of Reader. He had lots of quality snaps, always sticking his nose in there. Just a great number three defensive tackle. And if Reader's down, he's going to be a number two defensive tackle. And then they got Zach Carter some snaps on the inside. Camp Sample was shifting from outside to inside. He had a sack and a pretty decent game as well. So they were using multiple guys to replace DJ Reader in there. Linebacker Akeem Davis-Gaither had the game that we wanted out of him, too. 13 tackles in relief of Jermaine Pratt. So that's nice to see. It was his big moment. You know, he was starting, getting more playing time than ever, and he showed up. He almost had the pick, too. He had a couple of those in his career where he dropped interceptions. So we got to get him on the jugs machine, but really, Akeem, excellent game. And Logan Wilson continues to play at a high level, too. He's great in coverage. He had the interception. He was all over the running back dump-offs. If you look back to last season, the Jets were killing us in that one game on the running back dumps and screens and swing passes, and Wilson was just all over them this game. So excellent game out of him as well. Defensive backs, Awuzie was outstanding. Apple was outstanding. How many times did a receiver that Eli Apple called make a reception or a big play? I don't remember it happening once. Awuzie had the big pass breakup in the end zone on Elijah Moore. He had another one down the sideline on a, on a fourth down late in the game. So really just showing up like a pro bowler. We got a couple pro bowlers in the making on this defense. Von Bell had a really good game too. I always talk about, oh, he had a good game, short tackler, show some range. But I wanted to point out, he had really good coverage in this game. And his awareness to be in the right place all the time on running plays, like he... He just basically polices a gap and is so effective there. You see very few mistakes out of him, and it's just like high-level safety play that you don't realize until you really watch what he's doing on a play-by-play basis. Bates had the big hit on Garrett Wilson, which, you know, unfortunately knocked him out of the game for a while and really changed the the complexion of the game because they lost their best receiver. And I like the fact that Bates went up to him and checked on him after the hit, too. I mean... Good guys here. And if you look at Bell and Bates, they're hard hitters. You know, Von Bell's a really hard hitter. But we don't see a lot of them targeting guys. There's not many plays where Bell and Bates are hitting guys in the head. They're they're making a lot of big legal hits. And they care about people. Like I said, he checked on Garrett Wilson. So good to see and good safety play in this game. Hilton was very active, as usual, making a lot of tackles. He was having a little bit of trouble against Garrett Wilson early. But like I said, that went away when Wilson got hurt. 
they were blitzing him a lot in this game too. So he made an impact as well, not just in coverage, but at the line of scrimmage, which is, although he's a smaller guy, he just sticks his nose in there and is very effective at the line of scrimmage. And we talked about Trey Flowers had the fumble recovery when Wilson fumbled it after the interception. And he's been covering tight ends very well too. Another, You don't see tight ends lighting it up against us. We have this great formula where we have this tall, long, first-round corner that covers tight ends. It just really works. As long as he stays healthy, that's a major weapon, a major unsung weapon for us. And then lastly, onto special teams. McPherson, good day. He missed that 41-yarder at the end. I'm always going to defend McPherson just like I defend Burrow. I thought the snap was a little bit behind and a little high. It, it wasn't bad. I mean, I guess McPherson should have made it, but if you want to make an excuse, it wasn't the perfect snap. But Adamitis is playing well in there. He's firing the ball back. No flaws on punts. You know, his, his accuracy is pretty good and only going to get better. So no complaints about him. And then is Chris Evans ever going to get to return a kick, or is everything just going to be a touchback? I don't know. And Trent Taylor couple nice returns in the punt game, too. I know he's not the game-breaker that's going to change things, but, you know, a couple 10-yard returns in the punt game per game, and that really helps you, and he seems to be doing that on a regular basis. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Dolphins game and a preview of the Sunday night game against the Baltimore Ravens. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.